On the Empire Podcast this week, we welcome back podcast regular Mr. Simon Pegg, who talks about his new film Hector and the Search for Happiness, and the artist formerly known as Arpats, Mr. Robert Pattinson, drops by to talk about his happy-go-lucky rom-com, The Rover. All that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that, due to a serious case of copyright infringement, is reluctantly forced to admit that no... We are not Groot. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, once again, we are just three this week uh, due to an administrative error or uh, unforeseen circumstances. Take your pick. But good news. One of those three is the return of our geek queen, who after a couple of weeks away on holiday, where she finally learned how to train her dragons until they were tragically impounded by customs and taken away and destroyed. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, she's back. It's Helen O'Hara. Hooray! Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Also joining us is our film fact fanatic, a man whose every waking moment is dedicated to the pursuit of arcane knowledge about movies, which then forces out all the useful stuff about football tactics and how to breathe. It's Ali Plum. Oh my God, he's forgotten how to speak. Oh no, he's died. He's died. Helen, it's just you and me. It's oh. just you and me. Oh, wait, uh, no, open mouth, breathe. Open mouth and breathe. Oh, <gasps> there he goes. There he goes. He's done. He's done. Just a bit of shtick for you there. If you if you want to go to our Edinburgh Fringe show, <laughs> we've got a couple of titles for the Edinburgh Fringe show. <laughs> Currently, it? my favourite is Ali and Chris. Yeah, Banter Panthers. Banter Panthers. I like that one. Or Ali and Chris Guffles. G U F F W H O R E S. Guff whores. Guff whores. Sounds like. Guffaws. Correct. Oh, this is. Which is exactly what you would get if you came to our Edinburgh Fringe show, which is a real thing that's actually happening. Do, happening. Just to be clear, this is in taking place in. Edinburgh? It's, it's, in no, your it's take, head. no, it's taking place in a, it's taking place in a room in Edinburgh, Helen. Obviously, that we've booked out, and sold out for a month. We've also got Ali and Chris. So you like comedy? Ali and Chris, uh-huh. Laughter Brothers, Laughter Brothers. That's that's a big one. That's, that's a big, big one. one. I, it's very guff horror. It's obviously. basically if you like not laughing yeah. and watching bad improvisation then I recommend this show that that is absolutely totally happening. I right have now, a friend who's a comedy agent who could literally make this happen. <laughs> if you want to see me and Ali Plum on a stage for an hour for an entire month in Edinburgh. Making each other laugh <laughs> and no one other, else. Yeah. <laughs> Please do write in. Also do write in because um, we've had for the last three, few weeks podcasts with only three people in the room. Write in and see if you think that's actually... If you like it, I don't know if you like it, if you prefer four people, three people, because who knows, we may make this the uh, the, the status quo uh, going forward as things move on. So anyway, write in, uh, podcast at empireonline.com, or you can tweet us using the hashtag emperorpodcast. Otherwise, we won't see it, because we're so popular, and we get thousands, thousands of comments every day. Uh, and we get questions as well, and you've sent in some questions this week. At Obstacle3 asks, in light of Terminator, Genesis, or Jenny's sis, as he's said, which is very amusing, uh, we'll get on to that later on in the news section, but basically it's the news that the new Terminator film, which we all thought was Terminator Genesis, as in Genesis as in the Bible or the Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel band, um, is now actually called Terminator colon Genesis, G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. That's spelling again, G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. So... Back to Obstacle Freeze Freeze question. Now we got it all set up. What is the worst spelling or grammatical error made in a movie title? Now Andy tells us we've kind of tackled this before. Let's tackle it again. Let's tackle it again. But that's yeah. That's how we go. I think this was probably my answer last time because it upsets me so much. But Dumb and Dumber Toe. Dumb no two. Two. It's not Toe. If well, it was I know, Toe, it would have an onion. I know, but it just I, I I was trying to get across through the medium of sound that two is spelled wrong. <laughs> no, it's spelled right. No, it's spelt right except. Dumb and Dumber to like there should be a word after it if it's 
if it's T-O. Yeah. And there isn't, Chris, there isn't. I know there isn't. I know there isn't, but it's fine. It's not fine. But it's a joke. <laughs> it's not fine, it's Chris. A, it's a joke, Helen. Do I have... I know it's a joke, It's Chris. a joke. I I'm don't aware to... it's a joke, Chris. If you want to see people explaining jokes, come to see Ali. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, they, they get gone two and a half, you know, or Hot Shots Part Two. It's, it's, I like it. I like it. I Listen, think it's funny. I, I think it's funny. I get that it's a I joke, I know you get it as a joke, Chris. but I think it's funny. Hey, guys, but I've got But it still I've got an idea. hurts yeah. me to write it. I've got an idea. Oh. I've got an idea. Stop talking about it. No. I, th- I think I can put these into about three or four categories. The ones that require a hyphen and haven't had them put in. Mm. Eight-legged freaks has no hyphen, nor does law-abiding citizen. And 40-year-old virgin, that depends on how you like to do your 40-year-old double hyphen or single hyphen. They have a single hyphen between year and old. On the poster, at least, it has then since changed. Then you have the missing apostrophes. Oh. Ladies' man with no apostrophe after Ooh. S. Then there's also... Two weeks' notice. Two weeks' oh. notice. Oh, yeah, so that's that's another one. Then you have the just the grammatically, what are you doing? Like this doesn't work. Like Star Trek Into Darkness, just it just it it's just kind of four words next yeah. to each other. Star Trek to begin with is a bit of a push. Then you you need a colon or a dash in between Star Trek and Into Darkness. Then there are the missing question marks at the end. What just happened has no question mark, and so does Who Framed Roger Rabbit, an go. otherwise flawless film. Colloquial interpretations of the past participle. So honey. I shrunk the kids should be honey I've shrunk the kids or there's just a simple misunderstanding based on a, again a colloquialism or idiom so you would say that we will deliver this pizza to you in 30, 30 minutes, minutes or, or fewer 30 minutes or fewer yes you would sorry because minutes 30 that's a number so that's a quantity uh, rather than an, you know an amount so there you go Th- those are the different ones and they happen all the goddamn time I think the most common one is probably the missing uh, the missing height I absolutely hate the way that the official title of David Fincher's best film, if you pronounce it the way it is on the on the poster and in yeah. the title sequence, which is in terms of Empire House style, is meant to be the official name of the film. However it appears in the title sequence. A little bit of a tidbit for the people at home. It's not seven. It would actually be pronounced S7N, because it has seven where the fee should be. And I don't like that either. I don't like where you know you you know the, the too fast, too furious is, or you you take a number and you just stick it randomly oh, into a title. Come now, we cannot possibly object to too fast, too. No, furious. no, no. I'm just saying, but I couldn't think of another example. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually quite step like up, too fast, too furious. Step up to the streets. Yes, that's a bad one. After. That's a yeah. bad one. Doesn't numbers have a, a three in an e? It does. Yeah, yes. that's weird. It does. It does. So that's numb. <laughs> Num threers. Num threers. Num threers. I'll have three tickets for num threers. Num threers. Yeah, I think I think we've I think we've sorted it. And of course, we never make any spelling mistakes or grammatical mistakes either on the website or in the magazine. So we are in a great position to comment. Anybody who points them out, by all means, because they don't exist. But that's not a mistake. You know, it's like Terminator Genesis. It's not a mistake. It may fit into the plot in a very interesting way, and there may be some sort of company called Genesis or or whatever, but it's a word that is deliberately misspelled in the title of a major movie. And as a bit of a grammar Nazi, uh, second class. I wasn't around for the bad stuff. What, what was the bad stuff for the grammar Nazis? What did they do? Can't uh, anyway, can't go into not... hell and we were only following orders. <laughs> you know, as a bit of a grammar Nazi, it, that irks me. It does. I'm it... irked. I mean, Even more than your Dumb and Dumber 2, which, we... by the way, is a joke. Thank you for clarifying again. Listen, I agree that, that there's there's bound to be, I hope, I hope some kind of 
explanation for the Genesis spelling. I mean, Cyberdyne Systems, uh, SYS, is, you know, there's, there's probably some kind of thing going on there. In the, in the news story we wrote about this, I speculated it was either generations of machinery or, or genes, something to do with genes being used for the, you know, the human bits of the Terminators. Who knows? Mm. Whatever way you look at it, it's dumb looking. I do actually know the real reason and it's because the director Alan Taylor wanted to open the film with a series of different stages of Terminators like in their evolution, like in a row in a kind of evolution of man and they wanted it to be to the tune of Genesis's I Can't Dance. Of course. Of course they yes. said no, so this is essentially a double V flick at Phil Collins and Co saying, yeah. go jump off a bridge. We don't even need to spell the word like you do. Yeah. Existence just want to say that. Oh, Simone. Because Sim One, yes. Sim One and because, Zero. Because uh, these are titles that we have to type, and it annoys me because then you have to go existent. Oh, small e, capital X, existent. Oh, capital Z. Oh, Lord. While we're on the subject, again, another flawless film. Apart from the fact that sex lies in videotape. Mm. is all all lowercase. lowercase it is there's also you could do the commas that should or shouldn't be there Oxford commas that sort of thing but uh, my big fat Greek wedding should have a comma after big at least and it doesn't but then you go you know how do you speak it how do you say it do you care it's also in a Greek font Greek font so typeface I should say so really who cares let's mm. let's, 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 let's move, move on. on let's move on next question is from at Ewan Sutty who asks which four fictional presidents from movies or TV ooh, would make up an alternate Mount Rushmore an interesting wrinkle because we have talked about movie presidents on the podcast before but uh, the idea of a movie Rushmore with different presidents on it yes go hello well one possible answer is obviously four Bartlett's uh, that no. would be entirely justifiable boring shush I've got one better. Hey! Right? One Bartlett. Okay. Okay, because that's non-negotiable. I will well. keep Lincoln on there, but this time we're going with Daniel Day-Lewis Lincoln, not the actual Lincoln. Four score and down here. Yep. Then, and this is the re- where it gets good, I think, President Camacho from Idiocracy. I want Terry Crews on our Mount Rushmore. Yes. We talked to him about this. He's coming up in a next our next yes. podcast. It's an Expendables podcast because that's when it's coming out. And we asked him to remember every single name uh, that his character has in that film. And he didn't quite manage it. We'll have to correct him for just <laughs> one. So look forward to that. He is a huge amount of fun. I'd put him as part of my four strong comedy presidents list. Lloyd Bridges in Hot Shots Part Deux. Yes. George Clooney in Spy Kids 3D. Not so much, but okay. Tim Robbins in Austin Powers. We could, oh, yes. We could yeah. possibly swap out George Clooney with Leslie Dielsen in Scary Movie 4. We could. Mm-hmm. I, but I feel like putting any scary movie on Mount Rushmore is a bit wrong. I think just putting Leslie Nielsen into stone wanna, is a good idea. If you want to have former US presidents mm. on that list, uh, you got uh, Jack Lemmon and James Garner. And my fellow Americans, if anyone's ever seen that, it's quite a funny comedy oh, yeah. about uh, two uh, former US presidents who are framed for a crime they didn't commit. They have to go on the run and they're bickering with each other all the way through. Uh, I, I only got to three and my fourth one would be, it's kind of a, an assumption really, that Joan Allen in The Contender not only becomes vice president, but then one day becomes president. I want to put her on Mike Rushmore as well because I think that character is ace. So she would be my fourth on Mike Rushmore. Otherwise uh, we could have had Jeff Bridges as well as Lloyd Bridges and it would be a beautiful bridge across I'd have uh, President Thomas J. Whitmore from Independence Day yeah you would on there, uh, would there but he'd be... have he'd be holding 
that thing. The mic, the, the, yeah. The mic, yeah. Would there be a button that you can press at any viewing station within sightline of Mount Rushmore which would play the speech? Obviously. 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 I would just have three Harrison Fords in Air Force One. <laughs> Get off my mountain. And how about Jack Nicholson in Mars Attacks? Because you remember in Mars Attacks, they actually, didn't they re-carve Mount Rushmore into four Martian heads? Uh, they did, yes. So they're going to have to re-carve it after that. So it would make sense if they put him on there. They did. And Superman 2 obviously saw it remodels uh, Mount Rushmore as well, uh, which is interesting. Bartlett is negotiable. No. Uh, what about what about Michael Douglas in from The American President? He was, you know, the prototype Bartlett. He was, but but he didn't get as many good lines as Bartlett did. I mean, he got quite a few, you know, per running time, but Bartlett just, no, there's no argument on that. What about uh, Dave from Dave? I like Dave a lot. I think that's a really good film, but no, he's Kevin not Klein, he's strong not jaw, handsome man on, on the Mount Rushmore. Man. Yep. Alongside Terry Crews. Yep. Alongside Donald Pleasance from Escape from New York. <laughs> I like that we're no longer arguing about Terry Crews. He's just there. <laughs> that's an amazing suggestion. Crews, frankly, and we talked about this in the podcast, I would vote for Terry Crews. I can't because I'm not American, but I would find a way. I would find a way. Life does find a way. <laughs> Life does find a way. We should probably have had a word for Morgan Freeman um, in Deep Impact. But, eh. Jonathan Price in G.I. Joe. <laughs> no word for Jonathan Price. The Rise of Cobra. <laughs> Nobody? Hello? Nobody. Is this Nobody. on? Is this on? Bueller? Um, all right. That's David Rash played the president. Sledgehammer played the president in The Sentinel, the, uh, that, that dreadful Michael Douglas Kiefer Sutherland movie from a few years ago. Wow. Has anyone here seen Sledgehammer? Oh, I've heard talking? it. Sledgehammer. <laughs> and we're bringing it back to Genesis. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And uh, we can't mention William Sadler as President Matthew Ellis in Iron Man 3 because, you know, we're trying not to mention Marvel too much. Uh, right, good. Good Mount Rushmore. So, officially, definitively, the podcast's choice, Terry Crews. Yeah. Bartlett. I'm not negotiable, Chris. Bartlett. Harrison Ford, Lloyd Bridges. Harrison Ford, Lloyd Bridges. It's not bad. What about Billy Bob Thornton from Love Actually? No. <laughs> no. It has to be. Okay. Cruz, Bartlett, but like smaller than everyone else. No, big. Uh, Cruz, Bartlett, only because he's been like president way longer than the others. Cruz, Bartlett, Pullman. Ha- Harrison Ford. No, Pullman Bridges. Okay. Yeah? I'm gun game. All right. Okay. Cruz, Bartlett, Pullman Bridges. If anyone out there is good at Photoshop and can make that happen then do send it into the usual address uh, which is podcast at empireonline.com or even tweet us as you know I've said it already okay time now for our first interview he is even though you get the sense he would prefer not to be one of the most famous men on the planet propelled to astonishing fame by his turn his twinkling turn as Edward Cullen in the Twilight Saga but Robert Pattinson for it is he has spent the last couple of years backing away from blockbusters beep carving out a reputation as a serious actor of considerable talent by working with the likes of David Cronenberg on Cosmopolis and the forthcoming Maps to the Stars but he'll first be seen as a mentally challenged crook in David Michaud's post-apocalyptic drama The Rover which opens next week he was in London this week and Ali and Phil Dissemblian went along to speak to him enjoy this will mean nothing to you, Rob, but you are good mates with somebody who I went to school with, Tom Sturridge. Oh, really? Yeah, he was my mentor for a year, and I actually saw him on the set of a film recently. Mentor you on what? 
<laughs> that is a really good question that I have well, no way of answering. <laughs> no, I love him to bits, but it was about a year of him showing me where the toilet was. So <laughs> it was good fun. But yeah, I saw him on the set of this film he's doing called Remainder, and that was weird. Surreal. Anyway, do you want to kick things off? Yes, I would love to. Robert, thanks very much for joining us on the Empire Podcast. Now, I was just wondering, we meet you in this film in an unusual place, and I just wondered, when you got the script, and, and you look, you open it, and you read where your character appears, and he's lying face down on a, what I'm assuming is a baking hot Aussie outback road, flies buzzing around, nursing a bullet wound. Mm-hmm. What are your first thoughts? Are you like, I need to take a pillow with me? Am I going to not last long in this movie? It took me a little while to really get into the part. Um, yeah, but it, you just kind of start off with a bit of a bang. And I also kind of like the idea that basically you're going to die. I mean, I also I think it would kind of fit in with my the theme of my career, which is basically dying in every single movie I do. <laughs> like, pretty much apart from one. What's um, the one movie you don't die in? I think Water for Elephants. Yeah, that would be bad. I literally think it's um, the only movie. I'm either dead already, uh-huh. or I think I'd literally die in everything. So that's what you're looking so for in like, the project. Right, already dead, basically. <laughs> On the way there, I'm 50% in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking the role. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but then um, yeah, as it got as it got into it, I was like, wow, this is there's so many this there you could play this in a million different ways. And I just remember auditioning for it, walking into the audition, kind of like, I don't actually know if I'm doing this right at all. I mean, and it could be potentially incredibly embarrassing what I'm just about to do. They basically did it in the audition how I did it in the movie, and like I remember kind of trying to stay sort of half in character, going like, is he mentally handicapped in any way? And David's just like, well, I don't know. You can make a decision. I'm like, help me out here. Action. (laughs) (laughs) That must be terrifying. Well, we should put it into context for listeners, but you play Ray who, and it's not really like a lot of things in the film. It's not really sort of delineated exactly the background, the events, this post-apocalyptic world, 10 years after the collapse. And, and your character is from, he's got a bit of a Tennessee Williams thing. He's got a bit of sort of deep South going on and he's brothers with Scoot McNary's character. Mm-hmm. Before that audition, did you, did you actually have any idea what Scoot was going to do? Did you have to try and like uh, tally a bit with him? He was cast afterwards. He, he actually had, they, they sent him my accent to kind of match it because no one knew what accent I was doing. And I was in Australia with a bunch of Australians. So I was like, is this a correct Southern accent? But it's kind of like a Florida accent, I think. A bit of Florida and a bit of, I think it's like Tennessee or something. But yeah, he's just kind of, but he's got, they're like mongrels. I mean, he's just, a, he's a migrant laborer, basically. That's, that's why they've ended up in Australia. And so he's kind of, he's been there for like 10 years and well, five years. How long were you there for? Three months. Okay. So, yeah. Because we've got a little quick Aussie quiz for you. See how you go with this. We've got a few questions just to see how much Aussie kind of nurse you picked up whilst you were there. First question is, which of these is not real Australian slang? Number one, don't come the raw prawn with me. Number two, I'm flat out like a lizard drinking. Or three, fair go, there's a dingo in my billabong. I think the second one is is fake. No, it's the third one. Although I think you could probably get away with using it in conversation. Yeah, it's the dingo in the billabong. Isn't the billabong... The billabong is something. Yes. What is, I it's like a, it's like an outback kind of oasis of sorts, I think. Yeah, but so like it makes sense. Hole. That actually makes literal sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might it's not be a slang. Specific, quite a specific <laughs> scenario to use it in. Um, obviously, you know the positions of... Or maybe you do. Some of the positions in Quidditch. Do you know any of the positions in Aussie rules? <laughs> I have no idea about Quidditch. <laughs> I actually I, name one position in it. I don't know these in Aussie rules. I, I mean, there should be one you'd get, I would say. I like... The hint is the name of the um, film. The name of the film. 
Oh, the rover. Uh, yeah. The guy wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the shorts guy. <laughs> What's most delicious out of Marmite, Vegemite, or Tarmac? Oh, I mean, Marmite it beats Vegemite on so many different levels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, Vegemite is just such a poor imitator of Marmite. You didn't try telling people that in Australia, I hope, because they get <laughs> really upset. Everyone is like, just, it's a second-rate imitation. I love how patriotic. So much of the patriotism in Australia is based in Vegemite. I know. It's so weird. And it's just a copy of Marmite. It's like, get your own stuff. Get your own stuff. <laughs> sort of. Um, what do you take, what do you take with you when you're away from home, if anything? Do you have any home comforts that you, that you carry when you're three months in the outback? So actually, I do actually take Marmite with me a lot of time. You, you, but you can buy you can buy Marmite, and they usually used to not be able to get it in America at all. For, and anyway, but they have it in Whole Foods now. Yeah. But for years, I used to bring tons of Marmite back with me. <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah. this is something for uh, your IMDb, IMDb, mm-hmm. your IMDb trivia page because we like, what we like to do is kind of point out that it's a load of rubbish. It is a load of rubbish. It is a load of rubbish. I actually, I've got, forgot to figure out how, whoever edits it. Also, especially the quotes. I'm like, I never said that. And also, there's some of them which are just like, completely, um, like, just a, a, a kind of a misquote. And it's like, these are your key quotes from your life. And I'm like, I've Didn't never say said that. that, ever. And I mean, it's also so embarrassing. Everyone else has like, serious stuff about like, their careers and everything. And I just think, dumb things I've said in interviews when I was like 16 <laughs> and I just say just ridiculous stuff now is your chance to say something incredibly serious about the world Robert I take it I, I, I don't know how I've built it all up now I've got, I've got nothing serious to say I, I love Marmite yeah that's it now, one, one of them is here you are a big fan of Doctor Who quote unquote I've only ever seen like one episode of Doctor Who in my whole life amazing <laughs> that is a great lie uh, here's another one you're a big fan of comic books his favourites are Spider-Man, Batman, and X-Men. Never, ever read any comic books apart from the Beano. Amazing! <laughs> Just the Beano, not Dandy. Or Royal Rovers. I Dandy. I only like Beano because you got free lollipops. <laughs> Apparently you learned to drive in a 10-hour crash course. That's true. That is true. Yeah. They got one thing right. Yeah, and I didn't know when I went back to LA, didn't know any of the road rules at all. I'm sorry, a 10-hour crash course? That's the actually eight, eight hours. Wow. You get a driver's license after this. It's crazy. Simple as that? Yeah. Where was that done? Oregon. Ah, I didn't know know you could turn right on red lights or anything when I got to LA. I was like, I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Or or any of the signs mean or anything. And the driving test is five minutes. Done. (laughs) I need to go to Oregon right now. (laughs) And you can drive in England on that license as well. Are you kidding me? Is that still your license? Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) I love it. Finally, well, I say finally, there might be more, but you are a supporter of Arsenal Football Club. That's true. That is true. When was the last time you went? Three years ago. Uh, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, I do. Yeah. I'm a Spurs fan, so we'll just move on. <laughs> Guy Pierce, obviously, uh, is kind of like a surrogate brother stroke father figure mm-hmm. to Ray in this movie, isn't he? Um, he mentioned Of Mice and Men as a possible kind of reference point. Did you feel, did you, did you, did you, did you feel that at all? Did you have any other kind of um, touch points for the character where it come from um, yeah I mean I didn't really th- I mean you kind of I think just because of our, our physicality that kind of ended up looking like a bit of mice and many um, and the, yeah I guess the relationship is quite similar but I wasn't really thinking about that I was kind of I don't know I always, I've always saw it as a kind of a love story in a weird sort of way about someone who has just been it's just this weird dynamic of a character where he's basically been beaten up and told he's an idiot by everyone who he 
who supposedly love him like his whole life. So when, and he's a total dependent. So when Guy's character comes into the picture and basically behaves like an asshole, like everybody else has behaved to him, he's like, oh, it's like my family. <laughs> just kind of, um, and just attaches onto him really quickly. I'm not, yeah, that's what I kind of thought it was an interesting. I hadn't really seen it in, a, in between two guys as well in, in, a, in a story before. It's about the most vulnerable character you've played really, I guess. Would yeah. You say? Yeah. And he's just strange as well. I mean, it's kind of, but also at the same time, he's kind of, he's kind of a glass half full kind of person. And so he's not really that affected. Even when guys say like, I'm going to kill you or whatever, he's nev- never quite believes it. Even though Guy basically is going to kill him, he just for some reason doesn't believe him. He obviously hasn't seen the poster for the film, which is your face being dragged into <laughs> his face with a look of, yeah, I'm going to kill you. I, know, I keep looking at that poster and he's, it's, it's, he's, he's, trying to, he's arguing with him saying, like, why did you eat my jam donut? And he's got jam all over his face. Well, the first still we saw was a picture of, of him pointing a gun in your face at literally an inch away from your nose, I think. Yeah. So we're like, Robert's going to die in this one again. <laughs> yeah um yeah and that was a kind of slightly difficult scene because it, but passing out is always the hardest thing to do especially yeah. in the in the middle in the middle of a take like because you've got to kind of choose when you pass out and realize but like i've still got another three lines to say like oh shit passed out too early <laughs> and then faking it as well it's very diff- it's very difficult to fake passing out for some reason is that yeah. as bad as pretending to wake up that yeah, that's very difficult as well. That's really difficult. <laughs> that's, oh. 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 Just like waking up. <laughs> just like waking up. <laughs> Are you a nostalgic person like that? Do you have you kept mementos from these things, or is it just in your head? I have kept some mementos. I had to give back my. I took my wand from Harry Potter, and then they asked for it back again afterwards. No. Yeah. Rages, didn't you just those say I've like lost they're it. worth like two million pounds now? Like. Into actual magic. Yeah, that's a real one. <laughs> need to give it back. That would be the most embarrassing thing. Look, we never told you this, but this does actually do yeah. magic. <laughs> we need it. I've kept the t-shirt from this with the bullet hole in. Oh, cool. I actually wear it all the time. I designed the t-shirt myself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I'm, sh- God, I'm blanking on other stuff there. Well, you didn't keep the RAF uniform from the Haunted Airman, a film I I'm do. now fixating on uh, in quite a big way. Because that would be amazing yeah, for like, fancy dress. it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's on YouTube. Everybody check out the Haunted Airman. Yeah. Why is everything on YouTube? It's so it's like how did get the DVD? <laughs> Buy the DVD. <laughs> get the DVD of the Haunted Airman. I, I remember when the Haunted Airman DVD came out, and it's a paparazzi picture from the Twilight premiere. Are you kidding me? Yeah, on the cover of it, and I've got like golden eyes in it. I'm like, wow, that's just shameless. <laughs> wow. Don't get the DVD. No, take that back. Take Do that not back. watch it on YouTube. I bet the biggest word was haunted. Haunted. Yeah. Oh Jesus. <laughs> You're kind of, I guess blooming relationship with David Cronenberg is it must be pretty cool to be working with him um, mm. and Werner Herzog mm. as well and David Machine. they're quite singular kind of they feel like part of film history in a way and it must yeah. be nice for you to be working with them and taking your career in a kind of different direction yeah what can you tell us about the Werner project it's a kind of very epic uh, sort of historical drama it's about a woman Gertrude Bell who basically delineated uh, I can't remember like Saudi Arabia Iraq and Iran I think <laughs> it's something like that sounds plausible uh, yeah. but um, it's just kind of amazing story about her traveling through the desert when like no she's basically by herself as a woman it's really un- really unusual and kind of spectacular life she had 
and um, I'm playing T. Lawrence, like Lawrence of Arabia, who was her friend. It's definitely not a remake of Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> at all. Do you but, ride yeah. a camel at any Yeah, a lot, lot of camel riding. A lot Amazing. Of, yeah. did you, where did you get your license for camel riding? <laughs> yeah, no, I had a camel with a, uh, a whistling tooth. Um, which is kind of amazing. Brilliant. So I had to redo all of my lines because the camel is whistling over all of them. So <laughs> very frustrating. Listen out for camel whistle ADR. Yeah. Also, do you know that camels eat their own shit? That's amazing. I was looking in the camel's mouth, talking to the camel trainer, and like, wow, that looks disgusting. <laughs> and its mouth looks like shit. It's like it is shit. <laughs> but, like, what was your camel called in this movie? Whistling shit mouth. <laughs> I need to start a band called Whistling Shit Mouth. That's my next objective in life. I've been lucky enough to watch your latest David Cronenberg um, collaboration, mm. Maps. Is it Maps or Map? Map, maps, maps, maps. The stars. There's multiple maps. Yeah, maps to the stars, um, which is I thought fantastic. Sort mm. of dark, twisted, really funny, um, and another really good role for you. Mm. I was watching. I was really struck by like how because people can't quite figure out whether it's a straight satire on Hollywood or whether it's not it, he's not really interested in that. Mm. But I wondered how much of it like chimes with your experiences of meeting people. Have you met a Juli- Julianne Moore's oh, character? Yeah, 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 people like that. They quite. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many crazy people, though. But, I mean, the movie itself, that's why people talk about it being a satire. And it's like, it's not, it's a weirdly, like, spiritual movie. I really like it. Um, I should explain Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore plays, she's a kind of a slightly past her best, past her prime actress. Yeah. Quite needy and demanding. In this film. In this film. Yeah. She's out, she's amazing in it. I think she's so funny. Uh, it's ridiculous. At the scene, she's <laughs> doing, doing a scene... Let's see what she's doing is, uh, with Mia when she's on the toilet, and they've like added in fart sounds. It's like it's so ridiculous. <laughs> like so that she goes to like slapstick humor. And bits of... <laughs> that was so funny. And it's not a satire in any way. I mean, it kind of is, but it's uh, yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah, it's, it's is it like Entourage? No, <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing. It's one of the weirdest films like ever. It's kind of like a Hollywood satire mixed with a kind of incest ghost story <laughs> and a classic. Mm-hmm. Incest Coast story. Mm-hmm. Wow. With constipation. Yep. <laughs> Multi generational incest. That scene was remarkable. It stayed with me. Um, I, yeah, I haven't seen that before, I don't think ever. Um, but yeah, I guess you went on set for that particular. No, but that I, remember particular. I watched it with, with Mia. And I just, I just, so I was, we were both crying as laughter. And it's such a thing, such a funny movie. It's such a it's weird. I mean. I haven't seen anything like it before. Have you got? Have you spoken to David about future other things? I think he's he just wrote a book, and I think he's uh, promoting or doing doing that for a while. I mean, I saw some interviews saying that he's not going to make movies anymore. I was like, really? I haven't heard that though. <laughs> he's going to. It's been very disappointing. Yeah, it'll be awful. <laughs> Look, we have we have waffled on at you for a while now. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much. And um, I'm now going to go to Oregon and learn how to drive <laughs> in eight hours. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks. So here's another Ali and Chris name. Yeah. You came up with this one. Ali and Chris Avalolanch. Avalolanch, yes. Yeah, no. I'm going to veto that. Lolvalanch? You'd have people standing in front of the posters for like 10 minutes trying to figure out how the heck you say it. And then noticing where it's on, how much it costs, how good looking we are. Yes. No. Yeah. Avalolanch. A ticket is just £20 a laugh. It's free. 
It's a new system of ticketing up at the Edinburgh Fringe. Do do come and see us. Uh, all right, time now for some movie news. Uh, there's been quite a lot of movie news this week, hasn't there? There has, and yeah. it's, uh, there's a spe- an especially big story which will play to your love of movie release dates, Chris. Oh, um, God, we have. Uh, let me let me prepare myself. Okay, jeez. <sighs> Helen. Yes. Here is the story. Captain America three was already mm-hmm. dated for May 6th of 2016 mm-hmm. when Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, yes. was moved to the self-same date. No. I know. It looked like a clash of the titans, but to be honest, we always speculated well, that somebody might blink. You know, you know my release date porn. I do. So that's absolutely laid the facts of the story out. Marvel announced an untitled film on that date sure. first. Then DC and Warners went, hey... Batman vs Superman on that date and then Marvel going hey Marvel you're going to move right and then Marvel went no we're not going to move and in fact we're going to announce Captain America 3 is then, that untitled film yeah and then Warner's were all like what <laughs> uh, well we're not going to move and Marvel we're not going to move and uh, I'm guessing Helen you're building up to the fact that someone has moved someone has moved okay. and it is Batman v Superman no way it has moved to March 25th 2016 so Captain America 3 remains sort of unchallenged on the spot and quite frankly I suspect somewhere Captain America is beating his chest like a silverback gorilla I don't think he cares I don't think he cares he's, he's, a, he's a nice guy he's a cool guy he's listening to Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye he he's and, catching he and up Superman, the World Cup final he and Superman would get on really really well I'm sure but uh, at the same time he, he has prevailed in this particular face off um, April 29th over here by the way that is true sorry I should make that clear but it is yeah it's, it's a, a testament to just how powerful uh, Marvel are right now. I mean, you know, they they announced that Cap, that it was going to be Cap three after obviously the Winter Soldier had opened and, and performed spectacularly well. They are uh, this move by DC has come, of course, hot on the heels of a ninety three million opening weekend in the US for Guardians of the Galaxy. That was supposed to be the gamble. That was supposed to be Marvel's, you know, really crazy film and it opens spectacularly well I think it's the third highest opening of the year what you're seeing here is that the Marvel brand itself is incredibly strong even on a supposed risk and if you're going up against Cap 3 you've got a fight on your hands and quite frankly these are two temples that are so big uh, they have to deliver big money for the studios so you do not want to open them face to face and essentially you know force viewers to choose because quite frankly everybody loses that way mm. so Batman v Superman has now moved to my birthday which is sweet of it nice crew barn of the fact that's your birthday Helen well done you'll be getting lots of presents on March 25th March 25th 2016 yeah I personally think this is uh, very very interesting I think that uh I think Batman vs Superman colon Dawn of Justice is going to be a bigger film than Captain America 3 that's not kid ourselves uh, however they're right they would have they would have cannibalised each other yeah uh, I think Batman vs Superman wants to make a statement it wants to make a big statement opening weekend it wants to either surpass or beat Avengers record which I think Avengers 2 will beat next year which is 200 million opening weekend uh whether it does that or not, I don't know. But by moving away from Captain America 3, I think they're giving themselves a much better chance of doing so. It's also interesting that this was a film that was originally scheduled for 2015 and then moved backwards to give themselves more time to you know, figure everything out and, and have a great plan and make it all cohere. Um, so they've given themselves a lot of time now and maybe they do have the wiggle room to take two months off the schedule in a way that other films don't. The other thing that's worth noting is that Zack Snyder, of course, directing, has had great success with late March releases in the past. Many of his films 
films. I think Watchmen came out in March. 300 certainly came out in March. It's been a slot that he has worked well in. And frankly, the summer, quote-unquote, summer blockbuster season has been moving across the year and spreading across the year for, for quite some time now. This is just another step in that direction. Summer in 2016 officially starts on my birthday on March 25th. But there's more DC news, isn't there, Ellen? There is more DC news. They have also listed their release dates mm-hmm. for the forthcoming uh, their forthcoming films without uh, actually release, releasing what those films are. So in the same way that Marvel staked a claim to release dates going up to 2019, Warner's has now staked a claim to release dates going to 2020. Those release dates are August 8th. <laughs> Get your calendars out. <laughs> Please start marking them. Those release dates are... August 8th, 2016, mm-hmm. June 23rd, 2017, November 17, 2017, March 23rd, 2018, July 27, 2018, April 5, 2019, June 14th, 2019, April 3rd, 2020, and June 19th, 2020. Those are all sort of big films. We also know... Um, sorry, that- sorry, Helen, you forgot one, sorry. East 5-4, five, Firth of 4-5. <laughs> Thank you, Ali, so much. Uh, They've also actually mentioned two more, November 15th, 2018 and November 20th, 2020. Uh, Those are speculated to be... Not kidding. I don't think we'll be around then. Honestly, this is getting out of hand. But those two last ones I mentioned are speculated to be the Fantastic Beasts second and third films. These are the Harry Potter spin-offs. And yet here we are, Chris. This is so well. You forced us to move our dates, so guess what? I'm putting a flag in this and 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 <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Well, it one is. doesn't like to accuse Warner Brothers of of childishness in that yeah. sense. Yes, that's but- six years away. I don't know what I'm doing next week. I don't know what I'm having for lunch, but I know that I'm going to see a film on the twentieth <laughs> of November, two thousand and twenty. Except I'm probably not but because Chris, of its Fantastic Beasts three. I'm not that into. But Chris, the fact that you don't know what you know what you're reading for lunch next week is the reason yes. that no one's giving you twenty two hundred and fifty million dollars to make a movie. That's not you know? true. There's a whole lot of reasons why they're not giving me two hundred fifty <laughs> million dollars to make a movie. Oh, hang on. The twentieth of November. Oh, that's good because I'm having a um, I'm, yeah, I'm playing a foursome of golf with Bob from Accounts that morning, so it'll be good after that. And then I can go see the Fantastic Beasts of Fiddlemore. Any, that's uh, her name, right? Any sure. movies okay. opening on uh, June the first, my birthday? Presents can be sent to Endeavour Ooh. House. No, no, uh, none. No. And there's no films opening on my birthday, which is September twentieth. Yeah, you know why? Because your birthday isn't special. My birthday's better than your birthday. An awful lot of risk assigned to this Marvel. Uh, I know that some people are sick of us banging on about Marvel, but the fact is, they're in the news. Marvel only started really planting flags in the sand uh, up to 2018, and I think one in 2019, after they set up this framework and after they they had the confidence to go, okay, we know that you like Captain America and Avengers and even Guardians of the Galaxy so now we can stake it out and you can get excited about those movies in two or three years time and start speculating about what we're doing DC their entire strategy at the moment I keep calling it DC obviously it's Warner Brothers as well their entire strategy at the moment is a massive shot in the dark Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice will be a big film Yeah. will it break a billion we don't know it always, obviously doesn't depend on the quality of the movie as Transformers 4 breaking a billion this week proves but if the movie's great and it breaks a billion 
and it's it's fantastic and it paves way for Justice League everyone gets excited and they start spinning off Flash and Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter Wonder, and Woman. Wonder Woman and all these films that have been rumoured to and Shazam and all these r- films they've been rumoured to be pre- prepping been great there's confidence you can you can stick your flag in the sand for six years hence that's fine no problem with that whatsoever but if Batman Superman Dawn of Justice for whatever reason underperforms either critically or commercially in the same way that Man of Steel did uh, don't they have a problem at that point uh, and also frankly they've tried Green Lantern it didn't work but you could say the same of Hulk but they haven't rebooted Hulk in the same way there still isn't a Hulk solo movie it's almost like you know, I'm not saying Green Lantern will be one of the, one of the movies that, that DC do but I just think wait until the appetite is there and then stick your flags in the sand rather than try and create the appetite with but flag sticking. I think you have to stick flags now. This is sounding weird. Uh, you have to stick we flags now. We need a new nowadays. metaphor. We need, <laughs> we need something. We need something, a new analogy. But you do, I mean, you do have to uh, stake your claim because if you don't, uh, you don't have the flexibility later on. I mean, we are now seeing, you know, that the animation studios, and I'm not just talking about Pixar, I'm talking about Blue Sky and all the rest, are actually booking their movies you know, four, five, six years out, which fits an animation schedule and is entirely understandable. But when you are putting as much money on the line for each one of these films um, as they are, mm. you really have to be prepared to have, you know, to make the most of that. And and that means giving yourself space uh, and and having enough time to make it kind of work. And that means a really a two-week window free of other direct competition. Um, and that's why the summer season now runs for essentially six months, and it's why we're seeing this um, this this craze for you know six years out. Well, we'll discuss that further in our podcast dated sixteenth of October <laughs> two thousand and seventeen. So be sure to listen around for that one. Uh, anything else? Uh, the Kickboxer remake, which I think we may have mentioned in passing a couple times before, it has got some new cast uh, members. Now it has. Already, Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy and another Marvel veteran, if you can call him a veteran, George Saint-Pierre from Captain America the Winter Soldier. They are about to be joined by Ong Bak legend Tony Yar and Zero Dark Thirty's Scott Adkins. Two people I love, and Tony yeah. Yar has not been getting enough uh, work for a number of different reasons. And here he is, hopefully back on the big screen and, and, and kicking a lot of bottom. So all four of those people, we can all safely say, are people we love seeing on screen. So increasingly running out of reasons to not look forward to this film. Tai Chi Zero director Stephen Fung is overseeing the action, uh, both dramatic and in the ring, and this will be in 3D, by the way. Uh, but there'll also be another new lead, uh, aside from all these guys, called Ella Musi, uh, who will lead this one playing Kurt Sloan, the martial artist who heads to Thailand and learns the secrets of advanced kickboxing in order to avenge the death of his brother at the hands of the brutal Tong Po, who will be played by Bautista. Uh, Yar will be the with the be with the master who who trains the hero, and Adkins will be the brother that passes away. So it's got obviously the same setup, but I'm just praying it won't just be the same film. It can't be. Nothing can really rival. <laughs> nothing can rival that face Jean Claude Van Damme pulls when he goes. <laughs> Uh, although I would l- <laughs> I'd love to see Bautista or the like try to rival it. Um, anyway, like I say. All encouraging bits of casting news there, and fingers crossed it'll work. We've already talked about Terminator, mm-hmm. but just to remind you, it is indeed called G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. Who knows why? We'll find out next year. We will. Yeah, um, it seems weird that there's a film that's dated and it's only uh, a few, uh, like a few months away. I know, it's crazy, right? Uh, yeah. 
Seems, <laughs> seems so strange. I don't know how to plan my life around it. I played um, handball with uh, with Keith from HR that morning. So I'll, oh. I'll... And one tiny little final bit. Yes. Uh, Kingsman, the Secret Service, oh. has also moved. Release date. This release date. This is this has been right up my alley. This this movie news section. Uh, <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, it's moved back to. It's moved back to February thirteenth next year, which means that February thirteenth of twenty fifteen is going to be an epic clash of the really good tailoring, <laughs> because that is also the date of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and one thing you can say about that guy is he has really nice suits. So he won't be wearing them very much, will he? Though <laughs> that is true. That is true. But um, be a lot of thrusting. But in oh, but in terms of you know well dressed men with a penchant for violence, uh, February thirteenth next year is clearly where it's at. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and I will mention also very very briefly that Marilyn Burns, who uh, was a star of Toby Hooper's fantastic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, passed away this week. She was aged sixty five. If you haven't seen that film. It is truly one of the masterpieces of horror, and she is unforgettable in it, especially in the dinner table sequence. Uh, so, uh, a real loss. R.I.P. Okay, now it's time for our second guest of the week. Uh, what a delight it is to welcome back podcast semi-regular Mr. Simon Pegg into the booth. Last time we had him here, he was talking about The World's End. But there's no Edgar Wright or Nick Frost this time around in Hector and the Search for Happiness. But there is... Rosamund Pike so you know swings and roundabouts uh, he popped in a short while ago to talk to Phil and myself about his own search for happiness and whether or not that involves Twitter enjoy uh, we are delighted to be joined in the pod booth by Simon Pegg Hello. star of many many films but uh, his new one is Hector in the Search for Happiness hello Simon welcome thank you nice to be here uh, nice to have you here this is the first time we as Empire have seen you since you won the Empire Hero Award at the awards what a night that mm-hmm. was that was so funny because I, I genuinely I feel slightly stupid now because, <laughs> like, a couple of people knew around me. I didn't know. My assistant knew and my publicist knew. I sound like a right Hollywood douche. <laughs> uh, Did your assistant's publicist know? or uh? <laughs> <laughs> My assistant's publicist assistant knew. Uh, <laughs> but and, but Naira and Edgar didn't know either. And um, and the funny thing was, I, I'd, I'd spoken to J.J. Abrams earlier in the week and said, are you going to come to the Empire Awards? They're on. And, and he was in prep at that time for Star Wars and... and uh, I said, um, no, I'm going to have to go to Paris because he was sort of splitting his time between London and Paris. So when he walked on stage, first of all, Jimmy sang that song about we've got JJ at the top of the awards ceremony. There's this great song, this great opening number that Jimmy Nesbitt did. And he mentioned JJ being there. And I was like, no, he's got that wrong. (laughs) He's in Paris. He doesn't know him like I do, kind of thing. So then when JJ walked out on stage, my immediate reaction was, why didn't you tell me you were here? I felt a bit hurt. And then I realized why he was there. And it was, that was brilliant. JJ is a man who, uh, well, lies is a strong word, but he bends the truth for a living. You know, John Harrison. Yeah, yeah. Can't, you know, he's very good at protecting secrets, is JJ. He's got form, I believe. One person, he, one, you know, it's the same thing as one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. <laughs> one man's liar is another man's spoiler c- protector. <laughs> <laughs> it's a noble, noble art. But yeah. basically, uh, the fact that we, we, you know, sprung that award on you without you knowing about it. Just make me feel that we kind of have to do that every time you come in now. So, um, so we we had a read around the office today, and we have we've, we've uh, given you this. Uh, oh it's, no! Uh, an award for best peg. That's awesome. There you go. Oh, I'd uh, like to thank. We the have Academy. literally spared some expense. <laughs> that post note, uh, listeners, is <laughs> high quality. That's definitely yeah. from a, a mail order stationery firm. <laughs> it's not from Ryman's. It's something else covering the. We'll uh, we'll take a bit. It's not a, it's not a grudge match promotional <laughs> item. It's not. <laughs> Let's just make that absolutely clear. I'm honoured. Thank you so is much. Is that going to take pride of place? The Empire your... Academy. That <laughs> is going right next to my Hero Award. 
<laughs> which, which is where, by the way? <laughs> That's in my... Oh, no, everything I said... I've already come across badly this morning. It's your insistent Swiss bank account, folks. <laughs> I have a place where I watch films at my house, and it's in there. Okay, all right. <laughs> IMAX. Under- <laughs> my IMAX screen that I built on. <laughs> it's right next to the Sioux in the golf course. It's, yeah. it's right near there. Oh man! But obviously, you know, you're you're here uh, with Hector in the search for happiness. Yeah. So we're going to get very deep in psychoanalyzing you now for the Let's next do it. next thirty minutes or so. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about Simon in the search for happiness. Well, I tell you what, Chris. Um, I've realised actually in my sort of middle in my middle age years. Which I'm, I'm just knocking out of the park, by the way. I'm loving my <laughs> midlife crisis. It's fantastic fun. I don't know why they people call it a crisis. It's like it's actually quite brilliant. I'm enjoying it. And I always remember that Simpsons quote: "The you know the uh, crisis is the same as opportunity in Japanese or something." And then Homer says, "Crisisunity." Um, I've realised that success is entirely uh, defined by that happiness. Mm. It's not. A, uh, it's not defined by the accumulation of wealth or or. or followers on twitter or whatever <laughs> it's it's all about being ha- you know happiness is so important and if you're whatever you're doing no matter what you do if you're happy doing it then you're a success and i feel like uh at this point in my life i'm very very happy doing what i'm doing and i'm enjoying my job immensely and and that i see uh, that that the achieving happiness i think is a measure mm. of how successful i feel it's an interesting thing because this film is initially based on a self-help book isn't it it is and suddenly now you're out there on the public stage espousing the secrets of happiness the Simon Pegg style (laughs) which makes you some form of kind of one man cult for the (laughs) duration of this press tour I might do that actually I might start a cult (laughs) you should start a cult yeah where would it be based Uh, my house Um, (laughs) in the IMAX in the IMAX area Um, I I don't know yeah it's funny It's, it's an interesting the whole thing, the whole concept of, of what happiness is and discovering happiness and if there's a key to it and all that kind of stuff, it was, a, it was an interesting part of this film. And there was a parallel kind of story going on when we made it because we made it, it was the biggest in terms of global locations thing I've ever done. Because mm. we, we started off in Vancouver and then we came to London and then we went to Johannesburg and then we went to Shanghai and then we went to Tibet. You went into space for Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. But that was up. Oh, okay. It's different. <laughs> Going across is more significant. You don't get air miles for space. No, you don't. No. You get space miles, and they're worth nothing. <laughs> I've got like 100,000 light years, and I can't go anywhere. I'll just be in the middle of nowhere. I don't even get to Proxima Centauri. <laughs> you need like 500,000 light years to get there. <laughs> so anyway. But you can fly in comfort. Yeah, true. So yeah, no, the, the actual the actual process of making it was a very up and down thing. And, and, and you know, basically the, the, the message of the film without spoiling anything and this isn't really a film which you could apply that to is that you have to experience everything to experience happiness happiness is a it isn't like you can't be happy just by avoiding being unhappy you have to be unhappy in order to be happy because Mm. you know and that was all very fascinating it's kind of things we know i think intrinsically but it's nice to get out there on the page it's a film that unites gary and sam Gary and Sam together Finally, again. Finally, it works. <laughs> I know, I know. That's not the, the, the premise of the film, no, obviously, no. but it's where it starts. I wonder what the most midlife crisis thing you've ever bought is, apart from, obviously, that iMac screen that we've talked about. A Jaguar? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a car. I mean a cat. Uh, no, uh, yeah, probably. I bought a, car, a nice car recently just for S's and G's. Can I say shits and giggles? Of course well, you can. It's fine. Then again, it's that thing of, like, if you can do something and you want to do something, you should do something, you know unless it's morally corrupt. I don't know what the... I, I, midlife... I got to 39. I think when I had my child, 
I suddenly started thinking, wait a minute, you know, time's running out and this is all. Suddenly, the, the, when you have a baby, the whole world suddenly clicks into perspective slightly. It's this weird, you realize that before you have children, you are a guileless, directionless fool, narcissist fool. And, and then when you realize that your life is about... <laughs> that's These a, guys you, you just described us, yeah. <laughs> admitting uh, guilt there. Uh, when a child comes into your life, you suddenly realize that you're here to for a reason which is to kind of sustain and, and nurture this new life and then you become less important and, and that's a kind of a relief in a way because mm. you think oh great it's not all about me thank god I'm not the centre of the universe and that's kind of liberating in a way and mm. I, I, as soon as I had Tilly I kind of my daughter Matilda not Chris Tilly the journalist from the other <laughs> publication uh, we'll edit that bit out don't worry you know, we'll, just, we'll just beep out his name he <laughs> shall not be mentioned like I swore have you ever had Tilly by the way because uh, <laughs> <Chris laughs> yeah. he speaks very fondly of you he uh, really does no let's, let's <laughs> okay. not talk about it uh, then I, I kind of that, and then I quit drinking and then I sort of kind of um, I sound like Edgar sort of kind of um, got myself in a a much happier place because I, there was I don't know it sounds corny but there was something to live for and strive for and mm. it, it's 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 an existential nightmare being the only person in the world when you're when you are uh, an individual without that kind of connection the the world the universe is all about you and it's an incredible uh, responsibility <laughs> and to have that responsibility removed by a, a definition which is doesn't just involve you is is helpful. Chris and I are going to have to hug after this podcast, I think. <laughs> or go and make babies. Yes. Not with each other. No, but we'll give it a damn good job. <laughs> I, I understand that you bonded with Christopher, the great Christopher Plummer, I who did. appears in this movie, over the fact that the Star Trek connection. We did, yes. He played, I believe, the Star Trek universe's first bored Klingon. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but I also wondered if you bonded with Jean Reno, who also appears in this movie, over the pot plant. In Hot Fuzz. No, but funnily enough... Have you enough, seen it? Was he aware of it? Uh, From Leon, obviously. I though. think we did, yeah, we did. I think it came up at dinner. He's such a lovely man. But the the defining moment with Jean Renault was when... And this goes again back to my daughter. And I'm carping on about my daughter this morning. Her name is Matilda. And so when I met John we were at base uh, at the unit base in, in Vancouver and he'd come in for a makeup fitting um, uh, costume fitting and I went and, and I was introduced and of course I was extremely happy to meet him I love Leon I think it's a great film mm. and uh, Tilly happened to be with me and I picked her up and I said oh and this is my daughter Matilda and he went Matilda <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of just went oh <laughs> I got really excited I didn't even I didn't even make the connection I always make the joke that you know my wife named her after the Roald Dahl book I named her after Natalie Portman in <laughs> and, and so when he said that it was kind of um, it was as a film fan it was a great moment you were like take her away and make her a sniper <laughs> yeah please train her in a slightly dubious way no I didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a point where you would be impressed to go to LA and do that thing and do the uh, do the, the pilot season and all that sort of stuff. Well, I never, I didn't particularly want to do television straight away. Not because I, you know, television is obviously an incredibly auspicious, and particularly now, mm. you know, television is the best it's ever been. But with television, you you get to inhabit a single character for a very long period of time. You know, if you if you get uh, on a on a TV show, which can be a gift for an actor. You look at Brian Cranston got to you know saying one of the most incredible characters in television history by sticking with it for you know five or seven years or whatever but I kind of was at a point where I wanted to just play lots of different characters and keep mixing it up and um, me and Edgar had all these ideas about maybe we could do two or three films together so I, I wanted to to do movies so the idea of going and doing pilot season was never an option at mm. that point every actor goes over there and has a week of meetings and you just you drive around LA with a you know 
if you're lucky enough to have a, a hire car with a GPS, fine. If not, you're just sort of struggling to locate various offices where you sit and someone says, big fan, big fan, and then you talk to them for 15 minutes and you leave and that's it. You just sort of get to know people. Mm. And then you have a meeting with, I, I first of all was with CAA over there. You have the first meeting at your agency. And I was like this, I was like 2005. I was very sort of, you know, wet behind the ears kind of uh, in this amazing place where you'd see Jeff Goldblum doing his grocery shopping, which is LA. <laughs> and then I was in this boardroom with all, and CAA is a very kind of like, they all wear suits and it's like, with their building, we call it the Death Star because it just looks like wow. the Death Star on Avenue of the Stars. There's a float above LA. <laughs> yeah, and it has the power to destroy an entire <laughs> studio. But the the meeting I had was all these suited people and, and, they, and I'm sat at one end of the table and this, this kind of bevy of, of my team, they were going to be my team. And uh, the first person that spoke just said, Shana the Dead the musical from, <laughs> literally and I looked at him and went fuck off and the whole room kind of went quiet like <laughs> I thought he was joking I thought he was making a gag and but apparently Evil Dead the musical had just happened and and, and so it the, the, my response was slightly sh- shocking to them I'm not with CA anymore I to add. <laughs> I'm very happy at UTA well I got Hector because I went I, would, I went to a kickoff dinner for Mob City, the show I did with Frank Darabont. I did a, a pilot for Frank Darabont, which, which was really, really good fun. And Frank had asked me to do it. I was at his birthday party. And okay, this is, this is LA, right? I was at Frank Darabont's birthday, too. He's, always, he's been a friend since Shaun of the Dead. Lovely guy, very down-to-earth, sweet man, total nerd, brilliant house, full of Bernie Wrights and drawings and, uh, you know, just the coolest thing. And uh, he says, hey, will you, you want to do this thing in this pilot I'm doing? You die in the first episode. It'll be great. And I'm like, yeah, that'll be fantastic. So I say yes. We have a kickoff dinner at LA, and I sit next to the casting directors, and they're casting Hector. And they go, oh, you'd be good for this thing we're casting for Peter <laughs> Chelsea. So that's why LA's good, because everyone's there and things kind of happen. But if you don't need to be there for that, if you're kind of making your own work and you have enough connections, like, you know, I know a few people now, so it's for the big things like, Star Trek and Mission because I've got a friendship with JJ that kind of stuff can come up and Bad Robot now it's nice to know them so it's not like I've got to be on the ground all the time in LA trying to trying to scope stuff out which mm. you can do so if you sat at a different seat at that dinner you could be Gone Girl right now absolutely yeah <laughs> you could be the Rosamund Pike character I could be I could. that's that's what kind of blew that's what made me for a second think maybe I should move here maybe this is where you know to be in amongst in the stream as it were it's it, it is worthwhile it does. I mean, it feels like a very London film, but you shot here for two, two days, I gather. I sh- yeah, I think we shot here for two days. I had a broken foot uh, as well. I, I, when I watched the movie, I thought I, every time I saw myself walking with a slightly pained expression, I thought, yeah, that's me with a broken foot. What happened? I don't know. I felt like I was in Vancouver. I was crossing the road. I was wearing loose shoes. I rolled my ankle. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was quite good because I had 10 days off in the middle of the shoot for Star Trek press. Yeah. So I did all my Star Trek press with a walking stick. And then uh, by the time I'd finished the Star Trek press and we went to Johannesburg, I was well again. It was a perfect time to break my foot. I couldn't have broken my foot at a better time. <laughs> I feel so much better now. Uh, do you, you picked up an injury on, on World's End as well. Are you getting, are you getting I did injured two more and more? <laughs> this, every time I do a film with Rosamund Pike, I break a bone. This is absolute fact. True say. If I ever work with her again, I don't know what's going to go. I broke my finger, or I broke my hand on on uh, World's End, and I broke my foot on, and it's entirely Rosamund's fault. Oh my god, she's a bone breaker. Oh my god, the trilogy could be could be quite interesting. Could be what's next? Interesting. Yeah, a femur. What's next? She didn't pop up in uh, absolutely anything for five seconds, and you just felt something go. <laughs> well, funnily enough, ever since I've ever since 
I love Rosamund. She's so brilliant and she's a great actress. We had such fun on both those movies that now if ever there's like a female role that comes up, I'm like, hey, maybe Rosamund will do it. So there's a couple of times when like Man Up and stuff, things were knocking around. I thought maybe Ros is around, but I should should know better. If I want to keep all my bones intact, I'll stop calling her. <laughs> on Twitter for a while, you did this uh, Ros watch thing. Yeah. Which was, you know, the fine line between stalking and uh, friendship. That all started, uh, we were filming some World's End reshoots and she just literally got in from Los Angeles and come straight to Elstree. It was so tired. And we were sat in this easy up on, on the Lucas stage at, uh, at Elstree and uh, she fell asleep on the floor and I just found myself in a tent with a sleeping Rosamund Pike and uh, I thought that was enormously amusing so I just started to, I started to live tweet her nap <laughs> what's that Andy Warhol film that goes in for like seven hours of just yeah. someone sleeping yeah it was the like, sequel uh, I felt so honoured to be able to and then I made and then I put a Cornetto wrapper on it then she was awake then we did that she was complicit in that mm-hmm. otherwise it felt like a sort of ice cream abuse <laughs> but you mentioned earlier on that happiness uh, doesn't necessarily relate to the number of Twitter followers you have but you have was it now three million four million four point one mil who's counting who's, <laughs> who's counting I did this morning <laughs> I went through all of them do you get angry if people unfollow you? <laughs> you know, I don't. You know, do you notice anymore? I don't know. I've never. I've never noticed that because I don't know how you find that out. But because of the way that the my, you know, you, when your followership grows exponentially, you don't really notice the the ebb and flow of it because mm. it's you know. Um, but I did. I did look at some thing the other day. It was like a tw- a Twitter stat thing, and you can see how you've done. And I noticed that 20,000 people had unfollowed me <laughs> in the last, however, you know. So it is, it is swings and roundabouts. But I think the more, the more followers you get, then the more, you know, it's one of those things that um, followers beget followers. So, mm. you know, and then it's by no means, I mean, impressive compared to some people on Twitter, you know. Like you see people oversharing on Twitter sometimes and it's just, it's painfully kind of embarrassing because, you know, someone will say something really personal like they're just talking to, like Twitter is a person. It's not. It's a kind of. It's a. It's a legion made of however many people that follow you. Um, I find that you know. I, well, it's not. I, if you want to follow me, follow me. If you don't, you don't. And if you don't like what I say, unfollow me. I, and I, I don't. I'm not like a sort of particularly outspoken. But if someone annoys me, sometimes I. I will. <laughs> sometimes I'll tell them to fuck off. Sometimes I will, <laughs> because I don't feel like I should kind of like. I there's no etiquette. I mean, they, 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 I've learned certain things. Once mm. somebody pissed me off once, and I, I kind of set my followers on them, and that was a really mean thing to do because then they got bullied. Was that me? By any chance, you did. You did. No, I would you, never. You, you, did, you, you did it with me once. Did I? Yeah. Whenever, whenever um, we had an interview scheduled, and <laughs> I hadn't, I, I hadn't been told a new time, and you took the Twitter and went, <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for Chris here to call me. And within seconds, my timeline just went nuts. People were going, you fucking prick. How dare you keep Simon Pegg waiting? I'm so sorry. Well, that's the thing you don't know. It is literally the, it is a great example of that with great power comes great responsibility thing because it is like suddenly having a a, a legion of flying monkeys at your beck and call. And if you want to, if someone annoys you, you can just go, seize him. And all these people will will just leap on you. Fly, my pretties. Yeah, fly, exactly. (laughs) But it's not not good to, you know, to to engender, you know, animosity. And, and, And sometimes... I forget that. I forget that if I snap at someone, then a lot of other people will snap at them too. Mm. But silly things annoy me, like when people go, I love Shaun of the Dead, it's my favourite film, but they'll spell it with a W or they'll spell it. Or there, is there going to be a, that's the one, is there going to be a Shaun of the Dead 2 with like S H W N? And I'll say, <laughs> there wasn't a Shaun of the Dead fucking one, mate. <laughs> and then they get all upset and I realise I've been, I've overreacted. So I apologise to anyone I've ever, but I block a lot of people. Sometimes I just think, 
Fuck you. Mm-hmm. If you're my assistant, Claire, who I've already mentioned, uh, it's the thing she hears me the most. When I'm sitting in my chair on set, my Jeff Bridges <laughs> reclining chair, and I'm just looking at Twitter, the thing she hears me say the most is fuck you. <laughs> so I'll just look at Twitter and go, oh, fuck off. Fuck you. <laughs> it's a terrible thing, way to be. I've changed. I'm sorry. We need to have a, a peg cam on you for about three hours just watching you go through Twitter. That would be, be quite the experience. Is there going to be another Tintin film? I don't know. I was actually speaking to someone close to the uh, organisation very recently and uh, she said that there will be. But I don't know. We keep asking. We, I, last time I saw Peter Jackson was when we were doing our World's End press almost a year ago and, and he's he was... He was seemed keen, so I'm. I'm. I guess so. It just it's a question of when, really. So mm. you just wrapped absolutely anything with uh, Terry Jones. Yes. Uh, presumably, you got free tickets for the Pythons gigs. I did. Or, you did. Excellent. It's um, <laughs> good to know. Uh, I paid. I paid for mine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but what's next for you? Is it uh, Mission Impossible Five? Yes, Mission Impossible Five. As yeah. what I, what I know at this point is that we'll be starting shooting um, towards the end of the summer. Chris McQuarrie, obviously, in the director's chair. And uh, everyone's very excited. I went to see Edge of Tomorrow at the weekend, and uh, I and this is a terrible thing. I emailed Mr. Cruz afterwards to say, "Well done." I thought it was a really great film, and he said, uh, "And I quote, we are going to crush it.'" So <laughs> that is what's going to happen with MI5. What, what is it? What's being crushed? We're crushing it. Well, it means we're going to make a really great movie, basically. So I'm very excited to go. I can't wait to get back into that. His work ethic is extraordinary, and, and making those films is great fun because it isn't my gig, and I just get to play, you know, and, and be. And Benji, as well as a character, is going to have evolved. There's a very interesting evolution in Benji in that he starts out as a sort of potato and then becomes <laughs> this sort of like, you know, excited little puppy uh, debutante agent. And now by this time, he's going to be, presumably, will have been in the field for a while. So it's going to be fun to see how. He is now, you know, whether he's actually a little bit more hardened or whether he still has that kind of puppy-like enthusiasm for the job. So um, it's nice to be able to get to... I see why, actually, these days great actors are are, are jumping at the chance to play characters on television because you get to play these evolutions. You know, you get to live with a character for a long time and that's that's got to be a, an attractive thing to an actor. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, of course, the... Uh that leads me on to my next question. Is it going to be a Space Series 3? Oh, my God! <laughs> Get out! Put a glass smashing. <laughs> oh, <that's it. laughs> I just threw my chair through the window. <laughs> we will let you go, Simon. Uh, just one last thing. Have, oh, you, been on, have you been on set of uh, Episode 7 yet? That's a yes. Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> He's just packing away his award. You can keep this award. <laughs> can I just uh, scroll on that best poker face? <laughs> Awesome. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thanks, Thanks, buddy. Thank Thank you you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hector and Search for Happiness is out next week. Uh, This week's cinema releases are dominated by one film in particular, which is The Inbetweeners 2, the sequel, of course, to The Inbetweeners movie, which is the biggest comedy of all time in the UK. Yes, bigger even than Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. It made £45 million when it came out in 2011, which is fairly phenomenal. So Uh, we're not counting Mamma Mia as a comedy? We're not counting Mamma Mia. I don't know. How how, 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 would... It's... yeah, unclassifiable. <laughs> Mamma Mia is unclassifiable. Uh, yeah, I guess not. There are comedic elements, definitely. Uh-huh. Rosner singing. <laughs> Always fun. Uh, yeah, we're not, really. Fair enough. I guess the full Monty isn't really, strictly yeah. speaking, a comedy either. That kind of is. But anyway, you've seen this, Chris. I have seen this. And we haven't, actually. No. So that's going to make for a great discussion. Yeah, uh, yeah. What can you tell uh, us? Uh, what can I tell you is uh, I was really, really pleasantly surprised with this film. Uh it had, I'll be honest, all the trappings of a cash-in. 
It had all the, the hallmarks of, oh, we'll just do this one because the last one made loads of money and this time we'll get well paid. Uh, around about it, the trailers were not good, not promising. They didn't screen it to anybody, uh, let alone press, before the premiere on Tuesday night, the day before it opened. It's now open. It's now in cinemas. You probably have already seen it. So I went in with a fair amount of trepidation. Uh, I like everyone involved. We had the in-betweeners in the podcast last week. Uh, they were really, really funny. Uh, but I went in with trepidation. I was not expecting uh, anything great, to be honest. And uh, good news is, I was wrong. It's really funny. Really funny. Better than the first movie, I would say. This captures the spirit of the sitcom, which I love. Uh, w- far, far better than that the, the first movie. Uh, the co-creators of the show, Ian Morris and Damon Beasley, step up the plate this time. They are now directors. Uh, ben Palmer, who directed the original movie, has moved on. He's directing Man Up also with Simon Pegg, which is out next year. Um, unless, of course, moved to 2020. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's really assured. It has a bit of a clunky, slow start uh, in which our quartet, our heroes, uh, Will, uh, Jay, Neil and Simon, end up in Australia. And it's a bit of a road trip situation. But what, what I loved about this movie, uh, as well as being consistently funny, consistently quotable, um, comedy's largely written character, is that it really attacks gross-out comedy with a ferve and with a gusto that I think you need to make gross-out uh, work. You know, post-Farley's, it just doesn't work in most people's hands anymore. But there are, there are scenes in this movie involving uh, bodily fluids and, uh, you know, things emerging that shouldn't emerge. Pitched, it's a, a movie, a level almost of an action movie, and it's almost operatic in, in, in scale. And it just builds and builds and builds and becomes funnier and funnier and funnier. But there's also a real heart as well. There's a really lovely friendship at the, at the core between between the four guys who now obviously know these characters inside out. You will laugh, you'll cry, you, you'll hurl. Will I like it? World poster. I don't know if you'll like it, to be honest. Um, do you like the series? I never really watched the series, but I thought the first film was quite funny. Then I think you'll like this one. Mm. I think you'll like this one. There are there are issues. Not every joke works. There's some couple of jokes that just fall completely flat. Um, it's a little bit coarse. It's a little bit caustic at times. And uh, uh, you know, students of strong female characters may not be entirely pleased with this movie. But having said that, it is about the four guys and interactions with the world, and everyone they meet uh, is either a psychopath or a disappointment in some regard. Uh, it's sweet and it's very, very funny. And for me, it's one of the funniest films of the year. I loved 22 Jump Street, which is a smarter, better piece of filmmaking. But in terms of raw laughs and the number of belly laughs, I'd say The Inbetweeners 2 is up there with, with Jump Street for me. Sounds like there's a clear warning slash piece of encouragement there that yeah. if you are into gross out comedy and you like you know bodily fluids and that sort of stuff and the surprise, oh my God, that's so disgusting mm. type thing. You know, you can warn people in the same way off horror movies that way. Well, you can have the psychological horror, you can have the creepy horror, whatever you wanted to call it. But if this one is, say, a chainsaw round the head gore fest, you just know in advance that that's not your type of thing. So if you like this kind of comedy, to be honest with you, if you're already a big fan of the Inbetweeners, you kind of know what you're getting. This is just a good... Truth be told, though, I I didn't like the first movie. And that's one of the reasons. And I kind of get the feeling, even though it made £45 million, judging from the people who were tweeting us, tweeting us a lot, whenever we mentioned this movie on Twitter over the last couple of weeks, I kind of get the feeling that the bloom came off the rose slightly afterwards with the first movie and people kind of went oh really is it that good I mean the series is great the series is fantastic we'll always have the series but this movie the trailers weren't good I was at Cineworld last night and I watched they had a they 
they had a 12A trailer. It's a 15-rated movie. How it got 15, I have no idea. <laughs> it's probably, it's a, it should be an 18. But there was a trailer with the four guys introducing it, and it was so bad, so bad, that you'd be going, I don't know how anyone's going to go see this movie at all. And they've done a very good job of inadvertently hiding their light under a bushel with this movie, and I don't think it's really conveyed how funny the movie is. The movie is really funny. Do go see it. Well, given that it made uh, over two million on its UK opening day, I think it's doing pretty well. That's it's the doing pretty largest well. opening day of the year so far. Holy cow! I've uh, I've got a review here from our uh, from our beloved Phil Assemblin. It's not of In Between Us Two. It's of another movie. Okay, uh, which is it's called God's Pocket. Okay, and I'm going to tell you all about it through the medium of Phil. Phil Phil cannot be here. Phil because uh, he's he says I'm so sorry not to be joining you on Team Pod. I have guilt. Oh. His guilt. Poor guy. Oh. And he says... Is he planting a flag in the sand? He certainly is. He says he will be in next week, uh, which is going to be in 2014. <laughs> 2014. Okay, so he says... This this is a movie that you may have seen... Uh, a few people have been interviewed in the press about it recently. Uh, it's got the likes of Christina Hendricks in it. Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is his penultimate role. Uh, before uh, before there will be no more Philip Seymour Hoffman movies, isn't that right? Also, there's a three, there's two more. There's, there's a couple more. There's, there's, Mocky, there's most the Mockingjays and Most Wanted Man. Yeah. Okay, got it. So I'll explain who they are in a second. It's also directed by I always want to say Trevor Slattery, but it's actually Tony Slattery. It's uh, John Slattery. No, no, no. I'm right. John Slattery, <laughs> uh, who you may know also from Mad Men, like Christina Hendricks. Uh, he plays the uh, white shock of white hair uh, ad exec and. This is, this is it. I'm reading it out now. It's set in the tough Dennis Lahaney Philly neighbourhood of the title, where if you ain't from God's pocket, symptoms, talking in a silly accent, drinking a lot, you ain't nobody. It's about a put-upon outsider, Hoffman, his grieving wife, Hendrix, and a sleazy journo, Richard Jenkins, who claims to be trying to find out what happened to her dead son, but really just wants to find out what happens in her pants. Her son, a drug-hooning scumbag in the Ziggy from the Wire mold, has been offed on a building site and his colleagues are covering it up. But the film doesn't really care about that stuff, though. It's more of a subtle, undetectably at times, black comedy, like Mystic River meets A Weekend at Bernie's. Hmm. Sounds like, and Phyllis talked to me at length about this film because he found it quite interesting how it kind of doesn't do its own job properly. It doesn't stick to any one thing and it's kind of a mash of these two ideas, this dark comedy but also like serious analysis of what would happen in the situation. Uh, it's a dramedy but not in a way that it wants to be. It's more of a dram, comma, D. Things of note, Hoffman is terrific as always. Uh, Eddie Marson, he's also involved. Uh, he has a Philly accent uh, and a sleazy Undertaker stick which which works and Eddie Marson's often, often very good. It's possibly the first comedy ever to feature somebody having their eye gouged out <laughs> sounds like something we'll do in the avalanche show uh, the weekend and bernie's bit uh, with a meat truck a corpse a traffic accident which is all done off camera um is pretty remarkable so it's that level of of comedy here maybe it's rivaling in between us too uh, it's murky 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 with a lighting and hendrix is totally underwritten which yeah. is a damn shame because she's brilliant and it's obviously your first feature from John Slattery, and it is based on a book from the 80s. Phil says, and this is a very pithy way of reviewing a film, we gave it two stars, and I think that's spot on. Phil said all that, moving his lips. He certainly did. It's, it sounds like a very mixed bag, and though it had potential, it doesn't quite do its job. Yeah. It's a shame, really, because I love the name of it. <laughs> I know, I love the cast. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you so can read the review in full, of course, on EmpireOnline.com, or you could just bump into Phil on the street and ask him about it. Yes, he'll have a shopping bag filled with uh, subtitled DVDs. So look out for him. 
there. Uh, very, very quickly, uh, also about this week, for the little ones, is Planes 2, Fire and Rescue, which is a sequel to Planes that we were all clamouring for. Uh, <laughs> better. Better it, than the first? It is better than the first, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's not a hugely high bar, I'll be honest. Um, but also, it's quite nice. I mean, the, the best thing about cars and indeed planes has been the just the landscapes in the background the animation has been incredible I, I, that sounds damning with faint praise <laughs> it really does but, go but, and watch for the background no but genuinely this is kind of set in, a, in sort of the planes world's uh, version of Yosemite which is incredible looking so uh, but also that you know it's it's better so if you have kids it's probably not a bad option there you go there you go can't say further than that and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, join us next week for more high octane film related fun and we'll be joined by not one, but two members of the ever-growing cast of The Expendables 3, Mr. Wesley Snipes. Oh my God. I know. And the never-knowingly unenthusiastic Terry Crews. We've mentioned him already. He, oh my God. That interview is astonishing. The man is a force of nature. Both are absolute delights, let me tell you. Until then, it is goodbye from the returning Helen. Hello. It is goodbye from the always here, Ali. I will say just a few more of our potential and I want you to email in and tell me whether they're good or not Avalololanch Avalololanch no okay. no no no. Avalololanch okay right here are a few more Ali and Chris humour troopers Ali and Chris humour police Ali and Chris chuckle chumps <laughs> Ali and Chris what are they like yeah. Ali and Chris <sighs> This is so amazingly shit. Ali and Chris. <laughs> yes, that's not a title for the show, by the way. <laughs> Although it should be. Ali, Ali and Chris, and this is all in caps. Yep. Warning lols. <laughs> Ali and Chris, laughter lads. Ali and Chris, comedy men. I would love you guys to please send in a few more purposefully, utterly ridiculous Edinburgh Fringe Show comedy titles for mm. Ali and Chris. The, the joke is pretty simple, and I'm sure you can manage it. We should probably get going because we've got to catch a train for a 4:15 show. That's right. At the be, be there and surprise us. Yeah, we'll be there at the at the Edinburgh Theatre. Yes, right in the heart of sunny Edinburgh Street, Edinburgh. Yep, this is Edinburgh, Wales, right? That's us. That's us. Uh, oh yeah, it's goodbye for me as well. I'm off to plant a flag in the sand for 2025. Cool. Yeah. <laughs>